Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. I am your host, John Hutspeth, and as always, we have a really, really good show coming up. So, hope you guys are enjoying the nice weather. It's been pretty amazing the last couple days. I think we hit 70s uh, just about, and then I think this coming week, the week that y'all are listening to this, I think I I saw somewhere we might hit like 80s, possibly 90s which is pretty darn uh, extreme for late February. I mean, I like it being warm, but maybe not that warm. Like, I'd like a little spring in there somewhere, but uh, I'm not going to complain about the cold being over, especially after the, the Arctic blast thing we had a few weeks ago. Um, weather is just absolutely crazy. So uh, I've been trying to enjoy the warm weather a little bit. I've done a little fishing. I have not caught one. I've yet to catch a fish uh, since the the freeze. Um, Haven't gone to a lake or anything like that. Just kind of some farm pond type things. And so I'm sure the fish are still alive in there. There's a crap ton of turtles um, so I'm sure the bass have probably survived, but, uh, I don't know. I guess the water temps just need to come up a little bit more just cause it feels warm outside. Doesn't mean that that, uh, water has warmed up yet. So, um, uh, been doing a little bit of fishing this last weekend. I finally made it out to the ranch. I've been talking about it for weeks and weeks that I've been wanting to get out there. Finally made it out there. Um, I ended up killing one hog and five raccoons, which is not near what I was hoping for, uh, but it did feel out there, or, or sorry, it did feel good to get out there and do a little bit bit of hunting. Uh, the hog actually killed over a feeder before it got dark, went out with the thermal that night, and did not see a hog. I was very surprised, but that's just kind of the way it goes on our place. They're either there super thick or not at all, and right now, they're just kind of not there. So, um, saw a ton of damage. Uh, man, they are they are wreaking havoc, um, but it, like I said, I guess they just ate a little bit and left. Um, did feel good killing some raccoons with turkey season coming up and, you know, nesting and all that stuff. Um, I thought I was going to find more critters, you know, possums, skunks, and all that stuff. Didn't really see any of that. Um, it did get incredibly cold Saturday night, which is the night I was out there. Um, I think it actually got down to like 24. And so maybe things were just kind of curled up, waiting out the cold weather. Um, but yeah, like I said, just a little bit disappointed, um, overall, even though, you know, I put a little dent in the population of a few different species. So, um, so yeah, that was good. It was good to get out there, uh, topped off my feeders, was able to check some cameras. Um, I'd actually, speaking of the Arctic blast, I had just changed the batteries in most of my cameras like a week or so before the Arctic blast. That thing came in and just like destroyed the batteries. And so, um, yeah, most of the cameras were dead, even though I just put new batteries in it like two months ago. And so checked all the cards, um, put new batteries in a couple of them, picked up a couple of them that, you know, I just don't really need, uh, this spring. Um, but yeah, it, it was good checking some cameras. Uh, got a, a confirmation that a couple bucks made it through the season, which is awesome. Um, I guess all three of the bucks uh, that I, I found were eight points. Uh, two of them are very mature eight points. One of them is a, a stud, I believe, three-year-old. 
He's an eight point with matching kickers on his G2s. I've put uh, some pictures of him on Instagram if you want to go check him out. Um, really good up and comer that I'm, I'm hoping stick around. Um, I have not seen the buck that I called Slingshot, the buck that uh, had the big split G2 that was with uh, my buck Stone when I shot him. Um, he actually, after I shot Stone, like I said, he was standing 10 feet away. He came back to that spot um, two or three days in a row after that. So I don't think I really boogered him, uh, you know, by shooting Stone or whatever. Uh, but then it was, it was just time for him to transition to his fall pattern. And I haven't seen him since. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if he got killed. I don't know if he's just hanging out somewhere else still. Um, you know, I, I have no history with that deer, but um, he was here pretty much all summer. And so um, got the protein feeder going and everything. Hopefully I'm going to have some spring plots. And hopefully he's still out there and I can suck him back in uh, for this upcoming fall. Because he, he would be a really, really nice deer if I can, uh, if I can find him again. But all that to say, um, future's looking pretty decent. Got some bucks that I, you know, can look forward to over the summer. Uh, motivate me a little bit. It is, if I'm being honest, it is a little weird with the 2% buck being gone because for, I mean, the last, gosh, five years or something like that, he has been like my main motivation to get out there in, you know, the, the cold spring or the hot summer and sweat and get dirty and just like do all this work. Like whenever I'm doing that type of thing, I always have the 2% buck in the back of my mind and he's just not there anymore. So trying to kind of like switch mindsets to, I want another buck like that. And so putting in the work getting after it and uh, just doing everything I can to make our place the best, awesomest whitetail habitat that I possibly can um, so that I can kill more deer like him. So, so yeah, that's what's been going on. Um, this coming weekend, got a bunch of family stuff, going to a men's conference at the church. I uh, got a birthday party for my niece, um, hanging out. I got a little party with my wife, uh, with some of her coworkers and everything. So probably not going to get outside much this coming weekend. Um, but uh, man, turkey season is going to be here before we know it. I do have a couple free weekends coming up. Uh, my wife is going on a, a spring break trip with the church. And so I'll have my daughter, but we might sneak out to the ranch. We might play hooky one day. And uh, I don't know. We'll just see what happens. So, so yeah, that's what's been going on with me. As far as this week and this episode, we got something really cool, a little bit different than uh, our normal kind of whitetail talk. We're going to be talking mule deer and Oklahoma mule deer specifically. As you guys know, I've been talking about it a lot, trying to make 2024 the year of the mule deer. I already got my hunt planned down in South Texas and really, really wanting to get up to northwestern Oklahoma in some way, shape, or form, still kind of in the planning process, trying to figure out what that looks like, whether that's early season archery, maybe trying to sneak up there for uh, muzzleloader season, um, potentially try to get up there at some point in time and maybe knock on some doors or make some phone calls uh, for some private stuff, um, but definitely not afraid of uh, the, the challenge of public land hunting, just trying to figure out all the logistics and everything. I've thought about um, you know packing up and, and driving up there and trying to knock on some doors or something like that. But if I did that, I'd probably need to take my daughter with me. And then you know you got stops and hotel rooms and um, and yeah, like it's it's just far enough away that it's a hassle. Like it's you really can't you know go up there, get anything done, and come back in the same day. So you're talking like at least one overnight, um, potentially two. 
And so, yeah, it's it's just difficult. It's like I said, it's just far enough away. So, um, but I do want to get up there. Um, like I said, I, I still potentially have um, an opportunity to go to another out of state hunt. Um, I, I have two points in Kansas. So the way Kansas works is you put in for a tag, and if you get a tag, you can then put in for a mule deer tag. So the original tags for whitetail, and then you could then put in for mule deer. Um, so I could do that. Um, you know, Nebraska, I, I, I looked into it a little bit, and now that I'm on the spot, I can't remember if they do any over-the-counter mule deer tags or if you have to draw it. Um, and uh, I don't know, South Dakota is over-the-counter, I believe, but it's just you're getting a whole lot farther away. And with all these other plans I already have and a family, it, it just gets difficult. I, I learned that lesson, uh, you know, this last year for sure. So, um, but just trying to get as many opportunities as possible. Um, obviously, I'll still be, you know, hunting some whitetails on our own place. Uh, but just, I don't know, for some reason, mule deer have just really taken a hold of me lately. And uh, so, yeah, that's what I've been looking into. But Anyway, we are talking mule deer this week, and uh, we got a, a, a nice guest on. We got Mr. Keith Hagen, who has done quite a bit of mule deer hunting, um, kind of on the Oklahoma-Texas border out there uh, on the western side of the state, and uh, he is a, just a wealth of knowledge. He, um, like I said, he's done quite a bit of it, um, pretty much all of it with a bow, spot and stock style, and so we talk about his most recent hunt. We talk about just kind of mule deer in general, some of the differences between them and whitetail. Um, Keith is also a taxidermist, so we talk a little bit of, you know, in-field care, um, what to do with that critter once it's down and everything, and then we kind of go back to just kind of some general western hunting tips, gear, uh, you know, glass, boots, packs, all that good stuff. So just kind of the whole gambit of western mule deer hunting, um, but specifically here in Oklahoma. So really, really good episode, like I said. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Um, huge shout out to Keith for coming on. Um, yeah, that's going to do it. So I'm going to shut up now. We're going to go ahead and get into the episode right now. Hey everybody, welcome to today's show, and today we're talking to Mr. Keith Hagen. How you doing, Keith? Hey, I'm good, man. How you doing? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, man, I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy day and your life to come on here and, and talk hunting, and uh, who, who knows what we're going to get into today. Um, but before we go too far, Keith, why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Well, um... My name's Keith Hagen. I have a taxidermy shop, Southern Plains Taxidermy, out here by Union City, and been doing this gig for quite a while, guide hunts, and just uh, love to hunt and fish, you know, just love the outdoors, and just, uh, yeah, man. Yeah, I, I can tell just from a little bit of conversation we've had that you're kind of a jack of all trades. Sounds like you do it all, but um, the main reason I reached out to you and kind of where I want to start with this is um, Oklahoma mule deer, you know. Uh, mule deer are one of those species that we're fortunate enough to have here in Oklahoma, but honestly, not that many people actually get a chance to hunt them, just kind of where they're located and, and the, the smaller population that we have here. Um, so yeah, man, I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, to ask you about some mule deer. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I love whitetail hunting and, you know, I'll, I'll sit in a tree stand all day to shoot a whitetail. I'll sit in a box blind, whatever. I just, uh, 
man mule deer hunting. It was something that I started. I mean, I, I just really wanted to get into it several years back. I had some buddies that had some place out in Perryton, Texas and, uh, had some big, big canyons and stuff out there and they were hunting some mule deer and I just really wanted to get into it, you know, watching it on TV. And, and like you said, there's not very many of them around. There's not very many chances to really get on one unless you want to travel or pay some, pay some fees and, you know, hire some guides and, you know, go to the mountains or whatever. And so having a chance to get on something close or to really look into Oklahoma mule deer hunting, I, I just, I got a buddy that, that lives up in that country and he got me turned on to it. And mm-hmm. man, it's just, it, it's probably my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and it's just something kind of like you said, it's just something a little different, you know, it's, it's still a deer, but it's not a whitetail like most of us are used to. The landscape is quite a bit different typically. Um, so just just like I said, a, a really unique opportunity that uh, we have here in this state. Yeah, we um, – I mean, uh, up in that country, up in that panhandle country and up in – I mean, they're starting to become a, a bigger population, and they're around um, certain areas. A lot, of, a lot of private land will have some. And so trying to, trying to get permission to go after mule deer is, is kind of tough. Um, I'm probably going to upset some buddies when I say, but up there in like Harper County, I've brought some, or they've brought me some nice mule deer into the shop that have come out of that area. Um, Buffalo, um, Woodward area has some by gauge. And, and so, I mean, I've seen some really nice mule deer come out of that, that Northwest country. Uh huh. Yeah. I, uh, I remember I was working around Woodward. I was working on the wind farm up there. This has been, you know, eight years ago, something like that. And uh, I, I had a buddy that was living in Nebraska. So one Saturday we met halfway in, in Kansas and I was driving north and I hadn't been across the Kansas line for like five minutes and over on the west side of the road saw just a toad of a mule deer. And I was like, man, those things, like, they have to be in Oklahoma. They have to. And uh, you know, obviously, obviously, like you said, they're growing. Actually, I remember reading the uh, the National Deer Association. They put out their report every year. I actually covered ours a little bit last week, but I think it was three years ago. Uh, Oklahoma was one of only two or three states in the entire country that actually had a growing population of mule deer. Everywhere else, they were getting hit by you know loss of habitat or whatever. Um, and I know that the, the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife, I know they actually, I think they're just starting a, a study on mule deer. So, um, you know, hopefully before too awful long, it's not going to be quite as rare and, and quite as, you know, quite as big of a deal, uh, to hunt these things. Yeah. And up in that country and what I've noticed, um, man, they like the big crop fields. They like those big drainages, tall grasses and places to hide, you know, just like anything. But, uh, man, up in that country, the farming is huge you know what i mean you have huge irrigated fields and you know there's a lot of um, a lot of milo a lot of corn and that holds them deer they get out in the middle of that stuff and they stay in those fields until harvest and then of course that pushes them out and then you've got a better chance of going and find them but the food up there i really think is why they're up in that area that and i guess what is it the four corners area up in there and so you're getting these deer coming out of these other states and they're starting to move mule deer move i mean you can see them in one area and go back the next day and sit on that hill with spotting scopes and, and look that mile section over again and they won't be there 
uh, to where, you know, generally these whitetail are in the same area. Mm-hmm. These mule deer move in that country. And so finding them and getting on them with a bow is, 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 is tough. But I think, um, I think, like you said, I think the population is getting better because we have seen more and more lately. And I, I was kind of, what, have you looked up the research to see what the biggest one that was, um, uh, checked in what the state record mule deer was, wasn't it almost like a 200 inch deer? I, I don't remember. I was actually just looking at the harvest reports, uh, last week. And, uh, I know the last three years we've averaged right around 200 to 250 taken. Um, but I, I didn't look into size or anything, but I, I know I've seen some pretty dang good bucks coming in the last few years. Yeah. Um, they're up in that Laverne area and Buffalo and in that area, I've heard and seen some really big ones getting shot in that area as well. Yeah. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, how big the, the, um, the crop fields are mm-hmm. up there and how, you know, around here, where I'm at here by Union City, these farmers, they drill wheat and then they pray for rain. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. up there with the big irrigated, irrigated fields, the food is there for these deer. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, like you said, I, I think there's only going to be more opportunities coming soon. Um, I, like a lot of people, have been putting in for the, the draw tags up there on, on public, and uh, I never draw anything, so no surprise that I haven't got to get up there yet. And what? every year I tell myself that, you know, I'm going to make the trip up there, but it's a, it's a long trip up there for me to go, you know, drag around some public to, to maybe see something. Um, but uh, part of the reason I, I was reaching out to you, because I just, I am very interested in it, and I, I want to get up there, so... Um, yeah, I, I just think it's an awesome opportunity. There are deer on those uh, public grounds up there. Mm-hmm. A buddy of mine last year, him and him and a guy went up there, and they did the whole camp out and roughed it, and they were in there. They were able to shoot one, mm-hmm. and took, they stayed for I think it was three or four days. Mm-hmm. So when you go, I mean, if you're not going to get the hotel room and you're you're going to pack the pack the truck with everything you need, you know, all the uh, coffees and drinks and waters and extra rain gear and just anything that you can think of because if you're in if you're going to stay a few days and chase them that weather up there can always change and you know how it is you get out there in the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah (laughs) yeah for sure for sure well, you've you've done a good job of kind of talking about a few, you know, the dis- differences between mule deer and whitetail. But as far as actually hunting them, I want to get into some of that, especially with a bow. Um, you, you talked about how they could be here one day and a mile over the next day. Is is patterning mule deer a thing, or is it kind of just you wake up in the morning and you got to go find them wherever they happen to be that day? So if you find the food, mm-hmm. you'll find them. Mm-hmm. That's where I was able to get that one that you've seen the picture of. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was with a buddy. There were two of them. They were not both nice deer. I was actually wanting to shoot the other one. Mm-hmm. He was a, a little better. But when you're bow hunting and you get a chance at something like that, and you had crawled as far as I had crawled, <laughs> you're going to take the shot when you get one. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, in the morning, you know, we were, we were watching a Milo field that we knew they were in, and then – so we got, well, actually, let's back that up. So the night before we got up there, we found them. 
and I moved in on them, but didn't want to bump them, and it wasn't going to happen before dark. So we just left, got back to the, the mile section and just watched them and knew kind of in the area where we thought they would be in the morning, knew the milo field that they were feeding in. So we got there the next morning, set up, uh, got the scopes out, did our deal, drinking some coffee, found them. Um, then they came out of the field and then they go up into that tough country. I don't know whether, what do you want to call it? It's yuccas, it's stickers, it's sage mixed in with, you know, tumbleweed. It's just rough country. Mm -hmm. It's in the sandy and it's, they, they go up in that and that's where they bed and stay. You kind of watch them from what I've understood and what I've seen of them. They'll go in and they'll bed first thing in the morning and then they generally get up again and they'll walk around a little bit. And then they'll bed a second time. And normally when they bed that second time, from what I've noticed, and I'm no mule deer expert, I'm not any better at this than anybody else. I'm, every time I go, I'm learning and trying to get better. But I've seen when they kind of sit down the second time, they generally stay there unless a coyote gets them up or some, you know, road hunter or whatever the case is. So when they get that second bed, you can kind of plan on putting a stock together then. And hopefully you have some wind. What? I like the wind. Not only is it going to take your scent the other way, but it covers any noise you're making when you're getting close to them. Mm -hmm. You've seen a lot of videos and watch hunting shows and people will take their shoes off when they get close to them. I've never done that because the country's full of stickers up there. I don't know how they, <laughs> how they, they get away with that when yeah. they do it. But, uh, so I just wear, you know, some good boots that I can sneak in on and, and, uh, get close to them that way. Mm -hmm. The one that I shot, I ended up getting all the way into 40 yards before I shot it and had practiced all summer long at shooting 80 and 90 yards with my bow because the year before I was on a good one and couldn't get any closer than 80 yards mm -hmm. and didn't want to take the shot because it was kind of iffy. And so I just made sure I was able to shoot that before I went back mm -hmm. and then was able to get close enough to shooting. Yeah. So. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, you were talking about, you know, kind of the drier country and the stickers and everything. Um, was it, was there any like grass or was it mostly just thick brush, nasty stuff? It, there's grass. And that was another thing. I, I, uh, I, I got in, so it's hard to explain, but it, I wanted to, I, I like the tall stuff. Mm -hmm. I want to get into where, you know, I can, when I'm on my hands and knees that I'm, you know, below what I can be. Cause up there in that country, there isn't much. Mm -hmm. So whatever you can line up in between you and them, of course, but the grass that, that I used, yeah, it was some, some tall grass. And then you, you know, when those, okay, so a tractor or whatever's working those fields and they normally can't get in the corners. Mm -hmm. And so there's always that tall grass in the corners and then deer will bed in them corners. And you can kind of use some of that grass going down fence lines and stuff to get, get in if you can. Mm -hmm. But you, moving from uh, sagebrush and yucca plants is how I ended up getting close enough. I just kept some yuccas in between me and, and the one that I shot. Mm -hmm. He was actually bedded next to some yucca plants. Mm -hmm. And so... Just trying to use whatever you can get. Don't get go in one direction and then run out of cover. You've got to <laughs> step back and and pull map and try to try to get in. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. What about uh, just kind of like the the deer itself, their temperament? Uh, you know, whitetails are known as being 
very high strung, very on alert. You know, if there's any doubt in their mind, they're going to run away. I've heard mule deer not quite that way. I've heard they're a little bit more relaxed. Do you think that's true in your experience? No. No. I mean, I personally have never found one that just let me kill it. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) They've always been challenging. I went down to Plainview, Texas with a buddy of mine, and we were hunting, uh, it was actually a potato farm. And I was, I shot one down there and it was, it was a rough hunt. It was, and I did find one bedded and finally got in on one and shot him. But no, I haven't seen any of them just stand. I mean, that, some of them will do that bounce. Like you see a coyote, mm-hmm. they'll go out there and they'll kind of turn sideways. Uh-huh. But generally that's normally a far bow shot. Yeah. Yeah. With a rifle, everything easier, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're. You're taking you. You've got something that can cover some ground when you take a nice shooting, flat shooting rifle. Mm-hmm. That's a different game. Yeah, it's funny. I uh, so I actually went to college up in Idaho, lived there for five years, and I went up there more for the hunting than the school, and uh, got my butt kicked by those mountains. And you know, this is before Onyx and and trying to figure out the whole public land thing. But uh, one thing that I found is you know Idaho is kind of pockety like it had mule deer in certain sections and only mule deer and it had whitetail in certain sections and only whitetail and and i always enjoyed listening to the the people from the t- different areas argue about which one was harder to hunt you know the whitetail people are like oh whitetails are way harder and mule deer people are like oh whitetails are stupid mule deer is harder and so um i feel like every person i ask kind of tends to have a different answer just just like just now you know like i said i think like i've talked to other people they said they're not quite as wired and but uh sounds like that's not the case with you I think the season has everything to do with it as well. Mm. You get into a early season whitetail that's moving from feed to bed. Mm-hmm. You can generally hang a set in front of him and know where he's going to go and shoot one with a bow, gun, whatever. Early season deer are different mm-hmm. than then they get spooked a little bit. They start smelling boots on the ground. Everybody's hanging a set. There's fresh tree branches you know, laying everywhere with scents on them and people are walking and driving. Now you got every truck stopping and looking at them. And mm-hmm. I think once they know they're hunted, of course it's different. Yeah. Then you've got a ruddy buck that'll walk up to you when he thinks you're a doe walking across the field. Mm-hmm. So I think the season has everything to do with it. And I think the pressure has everything to do with it. If you're hunting an area that doesn't have that much pressure, I think those deer are definitely different than mm-hmm. hunting public land deer. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, uh, if you don't mind real quick, just kind of put all this into practice. Uh, would you mind just kind of telling us the story of this latest buck that, uh, we've kind of been alluding to this whole time. So would you mean the one I, this last one that I shot? Yes. So I, uh, with a buddy, I have a buddy that lives up in that country. Mm -hmm. So when you were talking about the drive, that four hour drive or that three and a half hour drive of, of, getting up early and driving up there and doing that deal that is rough and like mm-hmm. you said but you're like southeast oklahoma is that yep. correct correct yeah so it's it's so a pretty you, good poke you, so you have yeah you have you're driving across the state mm-hmm. to go and hunt these so it's nice to have somebody in that area mm-hmm. or that you've hunted it a few times and you're getting you know you're getting some practice at it and you can kind of shave off a day or two worth of scouting you know, because you've done it before. Mm -hmm. I have a buddy that lives up there and he was already scouting on some of these deer. 
and he had already found a group that was using a Milo patch that, that we went up there on. Found the deer the night before, like I had said. Didn't get on him because we didn't want to bump him. It was going to happen before dark. So we went up the next morning, found him. They came out. They went up into the country to bed. I was able to get close. So the the last stop when I like took off my pack and did all my stuff, it was, you know, around 120 yards. Then I started belly crawling in from there and got within 40. And then I had, I had nothing else between me and the deer. So I just kind of, you know, stopping every now and then checking to make sure they're there catching my breath. And, uh, then I got to the last yucca plant there, got on my knees kind of got everything situated, ranged the deer, rolled my pin and kind of leaned out to the side. And then he saw the movement. He stood up instantly and the other one crashed and ran. And, and when he looked back at the other deer that was taken off, gave me a second to, to put an arrow in him. Mm. And, he just, and he just ran into a little break. Mm-hmm. And then the other one come out the other side of the break. And then the one I shot didn't. So I felt pretty good about the shot. <laughs> yeah. And then it was... <coughs> Then, then you, you know, we're doing all this and we're trying to find these deer and we're, and you know, we, you mentioned something in your last podcast about preseason work and putting in the work, you know, we're shooting our bow and we're doing all this and we're, we're, we're waiting for that shot and we're trying to execute when we get the chance and then the deer's down and then you're in that country with a mule deer, like you said, the one you've seen on the side of the road, these deer are bigger, mm-hmm. these deer are heavy and so getting one out of that country is not the easiest stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing you need to plan for if you go. You know, taking a kill kit that you can either take him apart there and pack him out, or you're going to have a game hauler, some mm-hmm. kind of a cart, which I thought we were doing good because we had a cart um, that had the wheels on it and all that. It was miserable because mm-hmm. the thing kept sinking in the sand. Yeah. And it, it was tough it was tough to get the deer out. Mm-hmm. So those, you know, I heard of people using those sleds, mm. like you're carrying your decoys or uh-huh. whatever. I think that, I think that would be idea for that. Yeah. Next time I go, I'll probably have one, like uh, one of those. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, you know, if a lot of times I end up hunting by myself and I've always thought if I did get something like that, I'd probably quarter it and pack it out. Um, you know, I've done some of that, like I said, when I was living up in Idaho um, but I'm glad you brought that up because that's something, you know, if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking about trying it for the first time, that's the type of thing that you have to think about ahead of time and plan for. Um, you know, especially like if you're going further West to do a elk hunt or something like that, um, you know, that's the stuff that, you know, a lot of times when you're watching something on TV or YouTube or something, they don't necessarily show that part, but it's a reality and it's, it's gotta be something or it's something that you gotta be prepared for. For sure. These do-it-yourself hunts, when you don't have a guide that has a pickup or has everything there, or you just pull the trigger and say, okay, man, thank you, I'll see you at the lodge, different deal. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're trying to take it out ourselves, and, and luckily we could get to the mile section and only had to go a short ways, but it was still a, it was still a drag, for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's, uh, I kind of accidentally did a good segue, um, one thing that you mentioned earlier is you're a taxidermist. And one thing that we had talked about uh, discussing on this podcast was kind of that field care. 
um, getting things from the field to the taxidermist. And so I kind of accidentally, you know, made that transition, but let's just go ahead and jump into it. So, you know, you're out there, you're in, you can talk about Eastern Oklahoma, Western Oklahoma. You know, I imagine things might be a little bit different if you're up there in the, towards the panhandle or maybe hotter. Um, but yeah, let's, let's talk about kind of some field care stuff and getting things to the taxidermist in a good condition. Well, it starts as soon as it hits the ground, dragging that animal from wherever to your pickup or whatever you're going to do, dragging it on one side is going to, it's going to tear hair up. So that's something to think about. If you can get a a game cart or if you're going to take it apart and you're going to carry it out, that's one thing. The first thing to think about is, is dragging it. When you're getting that animal, stop at the sternum. Don't cut them all the way up past that and crack the, crack it open and Mm -hmm. and just stop at the sternum reach up in there and get it where you can take it out that way Mm -hmm. and if you're whitetails whatever antelope all these forms nowadays they're starting to be a lot more offset shoulder forms there's there's more to the mannequins nowadays Mm -hmm. so cut that deer in half Mm -hmm. or antelope in half or whatever you're just leave as much back as you can Mm. and stay out of the armpits. I cannot tell you how many deer get caped out to where they come up and go across the chest or they're trying to tube the leg out and then they just zip across to the sternum. If you cut white hair on a white-tailed deer through the armpit, you've messed up the cape. If you look at the white-tailed deer and they've got a white and brown line that goes straight down their leg and it goes straight up to their armpit and it goes straight down their side. Just follow that line. Don't cut a white hair. Don't cut any of the armpit. Just go straight down to the side of the deer and then go around the middle. You've got plenty of cape. We can trim off whatever we we need. You just leave, just leave as much as you can. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Then getting it cooled down. Getting it cooled down is, uh, is another big thing, especially early season. You're going to want to get the get, get any blood off of it. Blood and heat we'll start that hair to slip. So get them cleaned up if you can. If there's a stream nearby, if you're whatever, if you got your buddy that has a a garden hose, you get back to his place, rinse it off, rinse that cape off and get it cooled down. If you can't cape one off the head, like if you're not going to take it off the antlers and off the face, around the eyes, doing that part's a little different. Drop it in a bag, drop it in a deep freeze or just make sure you tuck it all the way down in an ice chest the best you can and cover it with ice and then get it to a taxidermist. Don't drive around for two days showing your buddy <laughs> your dead deer laying in the back of your truck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, one thing that I uh, just learned recently or somebody told me was to, uh, I used to always take a bag of ice and shove it up inside the cape, um, but then yeah. I was told that that can be bad for it because of all the moisture and everything. Um, would you rather just have ice around it? Do you put ice inside? What do you think? If you're if the deer, like I've seen several people gut a deer, shove ice up inside the cavity and take it and keeps the meat cool and get it there. That's not a problem. Now taking the cape all the way off and packing it full of ice. I, I don't know if I've ever really seen much of that. I did have a guy bring me an elk one time that he had packed full of snow and the snow was all over the hide and, it was fine. Mm. So I think getting it cooled and getting it clean is, is it's important. Yeah. 
you pack it in ice or you put ice on top of the hair just the same i mean those deer are out there in the rain that's not going to be a problem as much as leaving it set for a while yeah that's where that's where you have the issues just get it somewhere where you can get it taken off the head and get it in the freezer mm-hmm. gotcha the sooner the better that blood and that heat that's that's that'll ruin them mm-hmm. yeah i'm I'm normally a cape it up to the neck, saw that off. I, I like to let the taxidermist do the face. I uh, I probably could do it, but I've never had a taxidermist argue with me about doing it, and so uh, I'd rather let you guys handle all that uh, fine-tuned stuff. You big eye one, if you trim one around the eye and you end up cutting the backs of those eyes, that's a tough, That's I mean, we can sew it. Mm. It's just try not to. Yeah. And going around the horn. Stuff. that's a different deal too. making that wide cut or the seven cut down the back of the head and there's people that have to western cut a deer mm-hmm. you know if you can't haul it out and you've got to slit it all the way down the back that's just part of it yeah we a buddy of mine we shot a, a big all dad in the paladura we weren't packing that thing out and we weren't taking that or taking that animal up to the top of the rim before i mean we did it all right down there on the bottom mm-hmm. and then took it out mm-hmm. you know? It wasn't that we weren't going to be able to move that guy and get him hung up somewhere. And so sometimes you just have to do it where it lays. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one animal that I've never had mounted, don't have a lot of experience with it. And, uh, since it's coming up is a Turkey, um, Turkey season's coming up. If I wanted to get one mounted, what's the best thing to do with a Turkey? I've seen a lot of people just take them in those big black hefty bags and put the thing down in the bag and throw it and freeze it whole. Mm and take it to a taxidermist like that and find a good taxidermist that specializes in birds. Gotcha. Gotcha. Freeze that thing whole. Yeah. And take it. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. So kind of like a duck, you don't have to worry about skinning it, gutting it or anything like that. Just take the whole thing. I wouldn't because, yeah, because the, there's feather groups on that, mm-hmm. but that bird, if you start moving something or cutting something mm-hmm. that's, depending on how you want to get it mounted, like strutting turkeys are really, there's a lot to them. Mm-hmm. And their bird work is, is totally different. You, you're, you're, it's a totally different taxidermist that specializes in that, mm. in my opinion. Yeah. You just like, you know, you got a guy that works on cars. He's probably working on what he's good at. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. I was asking because uh, I'm headed up to Nebraska this year. My sister moved up moved up there, and so I'm planning to go up there this spring and do some turkey hunting. And if I get a Merriam's, I don't know. I might be might be kind of tempted to get it mounted. So, uh, so yeah, throw it in the deep freeze and then bring it home. I guess that or leave it there and have somebody that mm-hmm. specializes in mounting them and ship it to you. That's true. Very good point. Very good point. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Okay. I love it. coming up, and uh, <laughs> I guide turkey. I absolutely love turkey hunting. It's a blast. But yeah. the, the bow hunting the mule deer, that thing, and the or hunting mule deer, like we had started this deal off on, there's probably nothing more that I like to do mm-hmm. is go here with a bow. Yeah. Do you when you started hunting mule deer more? Did you change your archery setup at all, or you use the same one with whitetail? So I have two bows. The there's a lot of talk between multi pins, single pins, shooting long range. There's there's all these sites now that have like a you know a twenty, thirty, forty, three pin, and then slide. 
I like them all. I think whitetail hunting, if you're in the woods, and see, and this is where you'll get into a huge argument with anybody and everybody. Everybody has their own thing. It's archery is, is, is awesome because it's for you. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've got your broadhead set up or whatever you're going to do. I, like, if you're in the tree stand and you're hunting an area to where your top shot's going to be 30, 40 yards, and you set your bow up 20, 30, 40 with three, a multi-pin, and you have a deer coming in chasing a doe, and you know your stuff, pow, I think that's a great setup. Mm-hmm. Out west, where you may end up, if a deer doesn't know you're there, and then you can get in and range him and roll your pin that you have dialed, and you're shooting a single pin, that's how I shot my last one. I'm not going to say it's the best setup because I keep thinking that I may want a multi-pin slider this next season. I don't know. I, I do like the single pin when you're shooting at something far. To me, if you get multi-pins in there, it starts to cloud up that housing. I had to go to readers here this last, I don't know, year. So my eyes aren't the best like they were when I was younger. So the, the multi-pin game, but I, I've seen a lot of a lot of people shoot multi pins at distances and far targets, so I think it's it's a preference thing, honestly. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've been shooting. I got a three pin that you know rolls down, and uh, but for me personally, you know, one I mostly hunt whitetails, and more than likely it's going to be thirty yards and in, um, and so I'm not too worried about long shots. I do you know practice further, like you were saying. Um, you know, I've rolled mine out to 50 and stuff, just shooting in the yard and never had too much of a problem, but, uh, I don't know for me, I, I've never actually tried a single pin, but just talking to it and, or talking about it and have, having buddies and kind of messing with theirs. Uh, to me, it just seems like I, I talk to a lot of people that are say like, you know, side in at 20 and forget it or 30 and forget it. But I just don't know if in the moment, if, you know, let's say I'm set up for 20, but that buck is hanging up there at 40. I don't think I want to be out there messing with it or having to do math in my head. So I'm a big, still a big fan of the 20, 30, 40 yard pins personally. Me too. Honestly, I, I, I feel, you know what? I think archery is a confidence game. Mm -hmm. If you, whatever your bow and how you set it up and how you're practicing and you're comfortable with maybe different than I have a buddy out in Arizona shoots a single pin shoots elk shoots the mule deer at far distances he was posted this picture he shot one at like 75 80 yards well of course everybody gets on there you shoot and shoot at a deer that far away and he mm-hmm. I, but that guy can solid shoot at a deer that far away mm-hmm. and he shoots a single pin and he he knows his stuff he does it and so that's his setup yeah I, I, I do hunt right down here on the river and the, the, the single pin game is, I don't like it as much mm-hmm. as I do a multi pin when I'm in, in a, in a tree line or on the edge of a wheat field and deer standing out in the wheat field right before dark or kind of, if you don't have a good range finder, you can misjudge that distance pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And if you have several deer in that corner and now you're trying to range one and roll your pin and you're, yeah, that's, it can get, it can get, uh, the game can get really spooky there. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I think I may go to that three pin slider, honestly. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I I really like it because, like I said, you're you're pretty much covered for most of your shootable distances. But if you were in some type of situation where something's a little further out there, you have the option to roll it down. And typically, if something's a little further out, you probably have some time and some ability to have a little bit more movement. You know, mess around. So that that's why I like it. And then you can go jump into the broadhead game, and then there'll be several different people that shoot their own, that theirs is the best, and all that. Yeah, I shoot out there in that country to shoot far. Um, a buddy of mine was shooting these big mule deer up in the sand hills in Nebraska, and I was asking him what he was using. And I started shooting that Grave Digger Bloodsport because it's a hybrid. It has mm-hmm. the chisel point, it has the fixed blade, but then it also has the mechanical. Uh-huh. And that's what I killed that deer with. And then I've shot several deer since then, and I love them. I used to shoot a fixed blade muzzy, shot it for years. But I think everybody's got their own opinion on that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I started out shooting broad, I'm sorry, obviously broadheads. I started shooting out, uh, started out shooting mechanicals uh, because I think for me, I didn't have a well-tuned bow. And I'd you know buy a pack of usually cheap fixed blade broadheads. And they'd be going all over the place. And like you are talking about, I felt like it was more about confidence. So I started shooting uh, the mechanicals. But the last, I guess, three years, uh, I've been shooting uh, the Stinger uh, fixed blade broadheads and had a lot of really good luck with them. Uh, complete pass-throughs, um, I guess it was three three years ago, had kind of a bad shot, hit a little high and forward, but the deer still went down. And, uh, I think that shot in particular kind of won over the, the, the single bevel, or I'm not, sorry, not the single bevel, but the fixed blade for me. The fixed blade to me, you're, you're not having to worry about something working Mm -hmm. when you let your arrow go, be confident that when it hits it, it's cut. Yeah. These, these new iron wheels and these, if you look back at like the Zuwikis, people were shooting with the traditional broadhead. I think a cut on contact fixed blade broadhead is a great broadhead. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with those. Yeah. I have a cousin in Illinois shoots big deer and he shoots a schwacker. Mm-hmm. He loves them. They fly like darts and leave big holes. Mm-hmm. He's killed. He killed a really nice deer this year with one. So I think that that is a whole nother topic or what yeah. I, it's a preference thing too. Yeah. What and what shoots good out of your bow? Like right. you said, if you don't have, you know, tuned good, then you might be all over the place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about glass out there? Like, did you did you feel like you needed a big spotting scope, or would a pair of binoculars do it for you? I have a spotting scope. I have a big spotting scope, but I also have a couple different pair of binoculars. Mm-hmm. And the one binoculars that I went to this last season that I just, uh, I'm so, uh, I'm pumped. I, I dig them. I mean, I want to look through them all the time. That Sig Sauer has that Zulu 6 with that stabilization in it. Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen, looked through them yet. Uh-uh. They're unreal. They're unreal. You're, it takes all the movement out. It, it's crazy. The huh. technology that's in this, in, in this set of binoculars. But I, I, I have Vortex glass, Some a buddy of mine, you know, a Leupold. Everybody has, that's, uh, yes, you you will need something that you can see a good ways, and you can pick grass apart, and you can find you know the shine of an antler. But then once you're close, I, I use a you know a couple different kinds of bino harnesses mm-hmm. 
that I keep that are snug on my chest for when you're getting in close and you can, you know, get something. And that, that Zulu six, six hour set of binoculars I have, they're small and compact. Mm -hmm. And I really, I really dig those Hmm. for that kind of hunt. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I've, I, uh, I had a cheaper spotting scope a few years ago and after using it on a hunt, uh, up in Idaho, I kind of figured out that honestly, it almost wasn't worth carrying around just because the glass wasn't super great, you know, to really pick something apart. It just wasn't quite what you needed. And so, um, you know, if you're going to go the, the spotting scope route, I really think you have to spend some money if you're, you know, serious about it. I think otherwise you're probably better off just getting a a nice set of binoculars. Yeah. If you're going to spend money once, and, you know, not have multiple things to pack and carry around a, a really good set of binoculars. And then you, you've got all these uh, attachments now that you can put onto them and you can hook them to your, your tripod stand and you can mm-hmm. sit down and you can really look through them. I have a problem looking through the uh, spotting scopes that have like the angle to them. Mm-hmm. I, my spotting scope is straight. Yeah. Like a scope. Yeah. Yeah. Mine is too, actually. Cause I don't know. I, more more often than not, if I'm using the spotting scope nowadays, it's from the truck. And so I bought the little adapter that clips on your window. Cause like my sister moved out to Nebraska. Perfect. I've been up there the last two seasons, you know, chasing deer. And so a lot of a lot of it there is running roads and everything. But I'm kind of like you. I feel like with the the angled, you're you're bending your neck down, and uh, I think I'd just rather look straight through it. The window clamp that that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That that's what we do yeah. out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think definitely worth it. Um, I have the tripod adapter also. Well, not for a spotting scope. Most of them are ready to go, but I bought the adapter for my binoculars. Um, I never really found myself using the adapter. A lot of times I just kind of set them on top. Use it, that way I was kind of more mobile with them. Um, but if I guess if you were going to do some serious glassing, it might be worth using the, an adapter to actually attach them. I have one, but... I, if I'm if I'm hooking up on the tripod deal, I, I normally use my spotting scope. Mm-hmm. And chair wise, I've gotten into uh, uh, back to turkey hunting. Those you know those little low ride turkey hunting chairs. Uh huh. That's what I take out. Uh, they're mm-hmm. easy. They pack up. They roll up. You can throw them on your shoulder, and you're not just sticking out in the brush. You can kind of sit down next to some next to something if you're because out there in that country as soon as you get on a hill and you silhouette yourself you're scaring deer and there's there's stuff seeing you that you're you're not seeing i promise mm-hmm. and so i like to stay low mm-hmm. and so if i'm in one of those chairs and then that's when i'll use mine if i'm not using the window clamp deal yeah 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 that's a good tip too about silhouetting yourself um it's little things like that that just you know your typical flatlander, you know, whitetail hunter is just not thinking about when they go out to chase stuff out west. And they think that that grass out there and that country is all flat. It's not. Mm-hmm. There's big breaks in it, and there's all kinds of cuts. And those deer know every one of them. Mm-hmm. They keep their head down, and they're hard to find. Yeah, yeah. Um. Man, any other uh, any other tips or tricks you can think of for hunting out in the Panhandle area or chasing mule deer? Well, your vehicle. Make sure you got good tires. Mm. You know, you don't want to have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Good four wheel drive because some of those roads, when they get wet and sandy, they're rough. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, as far as camos, you know, insulation layers, but also some rain gear. Mm-hmm. And my pack, I've gone to a different pack. I use a, a lumbar pack. Mm. It's the big backpack deal when I'm bow hunting. I think it, I mean, I, I have a day pack and I have a big pack. But as far as getting in close and if I'm just like moving from here to there, I'm not needing all that stuff. Yeah. And so I use this uh, lumbar pack. I can get away with putting some, I'll have an extra range finder in it. I'll have little things, my kill kit, whatever. But I don't carry a great big pack in that country. For me, if you're going to spend all day and you're going to leave the truck and you're going to go, well, then of course you're going to need all that. Mm -hmm. But I like to be like turkey hunting. I don't use a big turkey jacket vest deal. I use a little chest rig Mm -hmm. because I like to be mobile and move and, and go if I need to. Yeah. And I think the less on me, the less noise it's going to make. Something falls out of your pack or you're, have you ever tried to crawl with a backpack on? <laughs> just, a little bit. To me, yeah. To me, I, just, I, I try to eliminate a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Man, I thought of a really. So your pack, your boots. Oh, uh, uh, go ahead. Keep going. Go ahead. So your boots, you know, things like that. Face paint. I, I like, face paint versus a face mask when I'm bow hunting because your face will shine out in that country. That'll help a little bit. Camo. I like stuff that I can move in. And yeah. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. once you get out there and you start practicing it, you're going to figure out chapstick stuff. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, I thought of a great question, and uh, I totally lost it, and I'm going to be kicking myself because uh, I know I'm going to think of it as soon as we I, hang up I, the I phone. I probably interrupted you. I'm good at interrupting. No, no, you were, get, you were on a roll there, and I th- it popped into my head, and then I started taking mental notes of all the stuff you were saying. It's uh, definitely definitely my fault. But um, but I want to also this. I'm not – I'm just a guy trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I'm no better than anybody else when it comes to hunting whitetails, when it comes to hunting turkeys, mule deer, anything. I, I'm not the guy. Mm-hmm. I've just had a little bit of success. But I also have a buddy that lives up in that country mm-hmm. that hunts that country year round that I picked up a lot from. Yeah. So having having resources and calling people and having landowners that can tell you little shortcuts and things that's helped me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you'll agree with me here. You know, part of the reason or one thing that I've tried to promote a lot on this podcast is just getting people to get out of their element a little bit and have you know have some adventures and one really cool thing about Oklahoma is you don't even have to leave our state to have so many different adventures. You know, like I said, for me just to go to Northwestern Oklahoma and hunt mule deer, that'd be something completely different that I do at our place. People who live over there, they can come out East and chase black bears. Um, you know, there's elk hunting, antelope, you know, a lot of people don't even realize that there are over the counter antelope tags in, o- in Oklahoma um, there's so many different ways to just get out there and experience different things. That's why I love having people on like you who've done a few of those different things, just kind of get the word out and help people realize that there is so much opportunity out there if they just dig for it a little bit. And uh, kind of like what you're saying, like sometimes it just takes some practice. You may not be successful the first time you're out there, but you're going to learn. And the next time you go back, you're going to be more prepared and hopefully be successful. If not, go back a third time, just whatever it takes. 
think I went up there chasing antelope three or four times before I was able to get one with a bow. Mm-hmm. And just like elk hunting down by the Wichita Mountains, I still have not mm-hmm. been successful. Yeah, they're there, mm-hmm. but yeah. I haven't got on one yet. Yeah, but uh, you know, like I said, I think a lot of people, myself included, growing up, I was like, oh, if you want to hunt mule deer, you got to go to colorado or montana or whatever but it's you know they're a whole lot closer to home than that might not be quite as many opportunities may not be quite the caliber of animal but uh but you know if you're on a budget or just wanting to you know try something different for a weekend it's a really really cool opportunity i have mounted some nice mule deer that have come out of that country mm-hmm. some nice i've mounted mule deer just as nice that have come out of the northwest country that I have that have come from other states. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Keith, we're kind of coming up on time here. So, uh, man, I just want to thank you again for coming on and, and sharing your knowledge with us. And, uh, any, any closing thoughts before we let you go? Man, thanks for calling me and, you know, asking me to be a part of it. I think it's cool what you're doing. I think this podcast stuff and it, it, if people set on taking a road trip to go, mule deer hunting Mm -hmm. they want to listen to something i think it's cool that you're doing it so i appreciate you doing what you're doing let me know if you need anything from me again okay yeah i appreciate that man uh keith thanks again for coming on and uh maybe we'll have you again in the future and i hope you have a good rest of your day perfect all right thank you Thank you, Keith, for coming on. One of the lucky few. I think I mentioned in the episode that Oklahoma averages probably somewhere in like the 230 mule deer every year. And you compare that to 130,000 whitetails. You're talking a small, small little fraction of the deer taken or mule deer. But uh, man, there's a chance. I guess that's what I'm banking on. There is a chance. And so hopefully I'll be able to get up there this this fall. Obviously, I'll be bringing you guys along if I do. So just a neat, like I said, opportunity that's a little bit different than your everyday little whitetail uh, content that we put out. So thanks again, Keith, for coming on, sharing your knowledge. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, man, I, I've mentioned it last week, Backwoods show coming up, Rack Madness coming up, um, t- uh, time to put in for tags is coming up, lots of exciting things coming up. So be sure to stay tuned. Thank you guys for tuning in. And until next week, I will see y'all right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast.